welcome to Talk Tennis, a podcast created specifically for you, the tennis fanatic. Join us each week as we work to elevate your game both on and off the court. We will deliver fresh episodes to keep you up to date with tennis trends and technologies, as well as exclusive interviews with industry experts, current and former pros, and so much more. Here's your host, Michelle. Hello, Talk Tennis listeners. Welcome to this week's episode. I hope this finds you feeling healthy and happy and strong and safe and all of the good things. This is your weekly distraction from all of the craziness that we're dealing with right now. I know it can be a tough time, but hopefully this episode will just bring a smile to your face and ignore everything going on for the next hour. So this week, if you are a Southern California tennis fanatic, you might know this name because she grew up in SoCal. She played tennis for USC. She still calls California home and she's kicking some butt on the WTA tour. Now you might know her as the little giant but her personality is far from small. So we talked about all the things, how she's navigating this tough time on her own and how she finally has time to work on some things that during the season she doesn't have a chance to do. So she's been baking and cooking and starting to ride her stationary bike and she loves to run also. So enjoy this episode with Danielle Lau. And if you have any questions or comments or just want to reach out and say hello, feel free to email me at podcast at tennis-warehouse.com. Now let's listen to this week's episode. So today's guest was a two-time All-American at USC and has an extensive list of achievements as a player there. She has also co-authored a book about college tennis. She loves to run. She loves picky bars. And she's known to some as the little giant. Welcome to Talk Tennis, Danielle Lau. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad we could do this. Yeah, of course. Now, I just want to mention that it's towards the end of March as we're recording this episode. So things are starting to get a little strange. Some of us are getting quarantined. Um, It's an interesting time. The tour as of right now is canceled until June. So I wanted to do a check in with you. How are you hanging in there? It's it's been a little tough, actually. Um, I I think I'm just trying to have my best attitude about everything, just focusing on the things I can control. But I'm also, you know, there's a lot of time at home. So you got some time to think about doing things that you couldn't do before and like filling your other buckets in life that you didn't have time for before. So yeah, just still trying to be productive and trying not to get stale, especially with uh, the minor isolation. Yeah. And what are some of those buckets that you're looking to fill right now? (laughs) I'm definitely trying to cook a little bit more. Yeah, that's one. I guess this is like a new bucket with the fact that, you know, gyms closing and such, you have to get a little creative in how to stay active. And uh, I've been off my my running game for a little bit because I had a mild injury at the beginning of the year, a little tendonitis in my feet. But now that I'm healthy, I could start my runs again. But obviously, uh, anyone who runs, um, you know, any considerable distance, they know you can't run every day. Yeah. So uh, I've been looking for different, different ways to fill the other days I don't run, try to get some a little tennis here and there. Uh, But I've also recently bought a stationary bike. 
So just looking to get creative and staying fit and productive while being at home. This is like how I used to do fitness before, like <laughs> at the beginning of time, I feel like, like when I was like 12 <laughs> and 13, I was like doing fitness, like in my own room, like different core exercises and stuff. So it's nice to kind of revisit it. And yeah, so like that, that's another bucket that I'm kind of dabbling into. And also like family time. Normally when I'm at home, I I get some family time, but I'm also, you know, out with my friends and, you know, hanging out at, you know, go get some happy hour, go get, you know, go get like dinners with my friends, you know, just like being able to do all the leisure things that I don't normally do. But because we're trying to limit, you know, our time outside of the house and especially in public places, it's, it's a good time to to be at home with your folks and just like really settle into that family time too. Yeah. Now I want to bring up your cooking because the other day I posted on my Instagram, I was so proud of my sea salt chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> and then yeah. I look at your Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I look at yours and not only did you make cookies, but you had them package and labeled <laughs> to give out to your friends. And I was like, that's the coolest thing ever. She's obviously done this before. <laughs> <laughs> I was super impressed. So talk to me, where does this love for cooking come from? I'm not sure uh, when the love for baking actually came from, but I know where the love for cooking came from. Yeah. Uh, when I was younger, my parents used to take me to this restaurant called Tokyo Wako, and it's like a Benihana hibachi type of place. And, mm-hmm. I, and so like I, I always got to you know, really entertain watching them make fried rice. And so that was probably the first thing I knew how to make or learned how to make. I'd like wanted to roll the egg and like, you know, do, I felt like I was like performing like in the kitchen. So that was like <laughs> the first thing I learned how to do. And then um, I don't know when baking started. I think I was just helping my mom make some box cakes and they were pretty good. And then I think someone also gave me cookies one time and said, these are made from scratch. And I was like, what does made from scratch mean? They're like, and they said, oh, it's not from a box. And I, and I thought like making cookies, they only came from a box, but they said, no, you have to actually use the flour, the sugar and the eggs. And it's a lot harder <laughs> to make it this way. So I was like, oh, okay. So yeah, I thought like if I really wanted to be be serious about baking and cooking like I had to do it from scratch and so I started yeah. to dabble into that a little bit uh, my mom makes really good banana bread so I was trying to do that too and then like it just slowly became like cookies and some cakes and cheesecakes uh, I had a macaron phase that drove my parents <laughs> nuts because it takes forever and it takes up a lot of space in the kitchen but I was obsessed with getting the meringue right and getting the fruit to come out <laughs> of the macaron so yeah like and and it's just uh, for me it's fun to be able to give it to other people because like normally when you bake you need to bake in some sort of bulk and I can't have yeah. my whole family or myself consume all of that so I decided to find a way to package it in a cute way not just like throw them in a plastic in like a ziplock and just give it out mm-hmm. and I, fe- I feel like you put so much time into the process you might as well like go the whole nine yards and just like put it in a nice box or put it in a nice bag. And, um, and then like my mom for one of my birthdays, she actually had those stickers made personalized stickers made for me. So like I, I threw them on the bag and the boxes. They're so cute. Yeah. And that was like when we first, when like we first heard the news of like, you know, encouraging people to self quarantine and such. Mm-hmm. So like, I think, after I finished all those cookies, I took one day and I just like dropped them off at my friend's house. It was like we were 
few meters apart. I like chucked the cookies at them. And I was like, hey guys, I'm leaving. So I was like, the, not the not the mail in a newspaper girl, but cookie delivery girl. Yeah, cookie delivery for one day. People thought I was actually starting a business. <laughs> That's because, cool. Because of this, because of the sticker. Yeah. I know. I was like, she's professional. Yeah. And because of the whole like, oh, tennis players are unemployed thing. And everyone's <laughs> joking about finding a new profession. So everyone literally thought I was starting a new business. I was like, no, 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 no. This is just for fun. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's really cool. And I hopefully you can keep doing some fun stuff like that through this time. Now, let's start all the way at the beginning. How did tennis start for you? What did it look like when you started playing tennis? Why did you start playing tennis? Why do you still play tennis? Yeah, um, it was it was quite an accident for me to start playing. I was on vacation in Mexico with my parents, and they had to go on some timeshare meeting. And, and instead of throwing me at like daycare, they decided to have me take some tennis lessons. And uh, when I came back to LA, they signed me up for some group lessons. Group lessons became individual lessons and private lessons, and private lessons became tournaments. And then it just was just a snowball effect. Everything was <laughs> happening slowly. And I'm actually surprised that uh, we kept going with it because we were the first, I was, I was the first uh, generation as an athlete or as a tennis player. Yeah. But I guess like I should give a lot of credit to my coaches earlier on in my life for helping me like preserve like a love for the game and like to develop a love for the game. And I'm pretty sure like if I were to really think about like every single segment of my tennis life, that's the reason why I'm still here and I'm still doing it and I still enjoy it. Nice. And do you have any siblings? Yeah, I have a younger sister. She is five years younger. So that makes her 23. Oh, cool. My sister and I are also five years apart. And she's my little sister is five years younger. So that's fun. Did she play tennis also or no? She took a few lessons, but I think uh, she didn't want anything to do with the tournaments and like, you know, the grind slowly get bigger and bigger. She's like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's so funny because like my sister is essentially she's gone through it all, but didn't as not as a player, but she can relate to every single experience and going to nationals and all that. So that's pretty funny. A huge family affair. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) it takes over the whole fam. How did you end up at USC? What did that process look like? Well, uh, I think just playing a bunch of tournaments as a junior tennis player, I was kind of you know, you, everyone thinks about, oh, do I want to turn pro or do I want to go to college? And, and at that point, you know, again, I was a first gen, first generation tennis player. In, in hindsight, I know I was nowhere near ready to be a tennis professional like back then. But, but at that point, at 16, 17 years old, you had these uh, naive dreams. And you, because you weren't sure how, what the process was like. And at that time, a lot of the best tennis players were young up-and-comers at around like 17 years old. You had, like for example, someone like Jennifer Capriati, Martina Hingis. Like, it was almost like we thought that the tennis prime was around that age. And so if it was ever going to happen, right. it was going to happen at like 16, 17, 18. And you just thought if I went off to college, whoop, I'm giving up the dream. But thankfully, we I had some good guidance from my parents. We talked to a lot of other parents who went through it and a lot of, you know, just like asking around. And I felt that it was it was the right choice for me to go get an education um, and uh, at the very least, you know, like get my degree. And then it's like such a great 
sounds funny to say it's an insurance policy, but yeah, I guess it was just the safer move at the time. And I wasn't really, I was playing some professional events at that time, but I wasn't doing well enough. And so it was a tough time for me, but thankfully I wasn't doing well (laughs) enough. So I made the decision pretty clear when I was around 17. And yeah, I I decided to to go to USC, uh, Richard and Wes were the coaches at the time and they recruited me kind of last minute and I've always wanted to stay in California I'm California girl forever I'll never leave yeah (laughs) and um and yeah at the time I wasn't a top junior either so being recruited to USC I felt like you know I was doing good for myself kind of like (laughs) that was like a pretty high rated school like I I thought like I could never reach or a school that high and when the offer came, I was like, I can't like pass it up. I got to go. I got to go. It's close to home. And yeah, even if the experience isn't 100% how I like it, I'm still close to home. So I, at least like it, it, this is such a, this is such a safe play. It's the obvious play. Let's do it. So yeah, I went to school and it, and it was more than a hundred percent. It was like more than I ever imagined. So it was, yeah, best decision. Nice. And how was it transitioning from being kind of an individual and then joining a team of girls that you're competing against, but also, you know, like bonding with and playing together with? How was that transition for you? I would say it was, I didn't even feel that transition, actually. Like, I I was just so excited to be there and I was ready to be whatever the team wanted me to be and like whatever the coach called of me. So it, was, it wasn't like, oh, it was all about me. And then now it's about all eight of us or all 10 of us. Like, I felt <laughs> yeah. like the transition between college tennis and professional tennis, like going back to being an individual was tougher, actually, than going from an individual junior tennis player to being a college tennis player. I felt like I'm not sure about everyone, but like for me, if I were to think back at the end of my junior tennis career, it's not that I was burned out, but it was like, gosh, I've done, I was like 17 years old. I was like, gosh, I've done around like nine to eight years of this already. (laughs) And so it's, it's time for a change, you know, (laughs) like it's time for a change in format, like everything is really time for a change. And, and college was the best change, too, because you got like seven other girls become your sisters. And, and yeah, it's just a yeah. fun experience, especially if you go somewhere with a great culture. I think you, you put in those. I always think I put in all those junior tennis hours to earn that college experience. And so, yeah, the transition was pretty easy for me. I guess like the, the scheduling and like the lifestyle, it took a little getting used to. You're a little bit more independent. But in terms of like being an individual tennis player and becoming a team player, that was like easy for me. Like I loved it. (laughs) And did you have any challenges starting in the lineup as a freshman? Like if you could look at how you were as a freshman through to your senior year, how did that change? Did your game change? How did everything change? I would say that from from freshman year to, to senior year at school, I wouldn't say my game changed too much, but I definitely matured a lot mentally. I was a little bit, my, my mental tolerance grew. I could stay in points a little longer. I guess you could say that that's how your tennis changed. But I think a lot of that was like mentality in college. A lot of times the coaches teach you to be more mentally resilient, not let little things bother you um, in a match and to help you handle the emotional swings and to, to stay steady and I, I hate to use that word steady because it sounds like you become a pusher, but but that's totally not it. You just become so much more mentally stable going through the college process because you have someone to talk you through it, especially through 
times of pressure and such, instead of you totally freaking out on your own as you would, like in a junior tennis match, you have somebody to kind of like reinforce like the good mentality. And so the next time you get into those situations, you can slowly reinforce it yourself. And that's how I feel like that's how I grew as a player going through college. Mm-hmm. And um, in terms of making the lineup freshman year, I didn't really know what to expect. Yeah, Like I told you, I felt like going to USC, I was shooting really high already, but I did have a great fall my freshman year. So that kind of gave me, you know, good feelings about making the lineup. And again, I, I bought into the team spirit very, very early on. So playing at a certain number in the lineup didn't really mean that much to me. Uh, I just I just wanted to to be there to make my team better. And if that meant playing at five or at one or two, like what whatever it was, I, I was I was willing to do it, especially as a as a freshman. You're like I'm kind of the underdog. Like I'm really yeah. I, just, I just got here. So let me, let me let me try to figure it out myself. And let me let me try to stay eligible and do all those things. So there's a lot on your plate at the same time. So making the lineup, it, it was important just because I wanted to be a part of the process and a part of the, the experience when it counted. So that that's what was going through my head back then. That's awesome. And what did you get your degree in? I got in communication and minored in business. Nice. So you're all set to take over the world. Yes. <laughs> <Hope so. laughs> no, that's awesome. Did you enjoy those classes? Would you have changed anything? I know a lot of times people like 10 years after they graduate, they're like, oh, that degree was useless. I would have done something different. What about you? Well, initially I came in and I wanted to be a business major, but it was so competitive to stay in uh, Marshall, the USC business school. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or to actually get in. I actually, to be honest, I, I really enjoyed my business classes a lot more, except accounting. That was terrible. That was, I pulled <laughs> so many all-nighters taking accounting. That was hard. But um, the other business courses, I felt like because I grew up in a household where, uh, with, with my dad being a businessman, it was very, like, some of the concepts are very obvious to me. And I love that I could practice those concepts that I grew up hearing in the classroom and, and seeing and seeing that like, you know, seeing like his knowledge kind of pay it forward. But but yeah, I mean, the communication classes, they're they were interesting, too. Some of the most interesting ones were at night. But I was so tired to like give my full attention. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, but both schools, Marshall and Enberg were great. I, I definitely don't think I would have gotten into gone into science or or anything like that. So that that was as best as good as it was going to get for me. <laughs> nice. No regrets then. That's no. good. Now, talk to me about uh, what happened from graduation to turning pro. Did you always know that you were going to go straight into playing pros? What did the transition look like? Talk about the difference between playing college and if there's a big gap between college and the professional tour. Mm-hmm. Talk about all the hustle, all yeah. of those things. Yeah, so for me like I said, when I was 16, 17 years old, like I, I kind of thought like, well, at the time it was like, okay, you either turn pro now or you go college and leave the professional dream behind. So that was that thought. And so when I graduated, I was slightly confused a little bit. I felt like around my time when I graduated around 2012, 2013, that's when all these college players came out. 
and played on tour Mm -hmm. and then broke through. So like, I felt like I was the first wave of them, like, you know, with Steve Johnson and Nicole Gibbs and, you know, like I felt like before my time, they weren't breaking through. Right. So it was a tough decision to like come out of college and say, I'm going to do this because you didn't really see that many people do it before you. Right. And at the same time, there was always that feeling that like, oh, like if you go to college, like, you know, that's it. You're done. Yeah, that's where careers go to die. I think someone (laughs) said that recently. (laughs) Like sad. (laughs) Yeah. So when I finished, I was was interviewing for asset management companies. I was, uh, I did an internship my junior year. And so like half of me like was trying to fill that bucket and go like, okay, I have my college degree. This is what I earn and let's go, let's go earn some money. Yeah. And part of me was like, I still love to play. And for me, I was waiting to hear back from a couple companies and I did, but they wanted me to relocate in places that I wasn't ready to go to. So I, I put off accepting jobs and I just decided to hit for some money or coach for some money in the meantime. Mm-hmm. And uh, by doing that and teaching, I think I I realized how much I did enjoy it still just being on the court, you know, for mm-hmm. maybe like three, three, four hours on the court. And despite the fact that I was hitting for money and teaching, I was still wanting to take lessons from my coach. And so I was, I was putting in quite a few hours on the court and I was just like, gosh, like, and I, I felt like I was still improving with my coach too while teaching. I was just like, what if I just nixed all my teaching hours and just really focused on myself, which was a really tough thought after, you know, coming from the whole team aspect. (laughs) Yeah, it's just like, let's go all in on me. And it was was tough to think about that. But after talking to Richard and Wes, my college coaches, and uh, talking to Cal, even some of my teammates, they they told me that I should I should try it out because um, for this main reason that I just love the game. Right. And I think if you have a passion for it, you that passion will, you know, drive you through those like tough moments. And like, mm-hmm. you know, when, when you don't get something, it'll drive you to keep going until you get it. And so I, I just like kept working with my coach, Cal, decided to sign up for a professional event and had some pretty good results that fall, the fall that I graduated. And was just like, well, I guess let's just go a little bit more in every single time and gradually built my ranking and somehow made a grand slam. And once you make a grand slam, you're like, gosh, I want to go to every single one of these now. And I just want to <laughs> be here because, yeah. because like, this is what I've worked for my whole life. And, and yeah, if you, if you're a big tennis fan, you're just like, gosh, like I've always wanted to be at Wimbledon. I've always wanted to be like at Roland Garros and Aussie Open, US Open. That's just like where you want to be and you just can't get enough of it. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's probably what drives the whole ship now. It's just like, you just want to play slams. Hey, I think that's awesome. That's so cool. Now, Tell me a little bit about the importance. You are, in my opinion, you seem like a very calculated player in terms of training, in terms of nutrition, in terms of the people you keep around you, your team, your coaches, all that. Talk to me about the importance of that. And have you always been that way? Or have you had experiences where you weren't that way? And this is why you are that way now? Yeah, I think that all stems from having um, that kind of business mindset ever since I was younger. Hmm. It's funny, like my dad always told me I was like 12 years old. And he was saying like, you know, 
you want to be successful, you got to have a good team around you. And I was like, oh, <laughs> like what kind of team? Do-? And it's just like, sheesh. Okay. And he's like, like, so for now, he's like, so for now, like, I'm on your team, mom's on your team. Yeah, you know, your coaches on your team. And I was kind of starting a little fitness and he and he was like, they're on your team. So like, you have to have a good team because you can't, you can't succeed by yourself. So yeah, I, I guess like from then, it was all about maximizing whatever I had in terms of the people around you. And I also knew I was 5'3 and about 120 pounds. Like I could, I, I didn't have any room to, to give up anything. So <laughs> I, I felt like I had to maximize everything I had, like in terms of like physicality, mm. you know, fitness. And, and of course, there was a huge learning curve because I am the first generation. Mm-hmm. But uh, I guess like the curiosity and the passion to always improve, like drove me to always find new ways to get better and to, and you never get it right the first time. There's always like some trial and error. And like, when you find something that fits, you like keep it. And then when you find something that doesn't, you just kind of throw it out. But it's this endless search, not necessarily for perfection, but for excellence. And so, yeah, so I'm calculated, but at the same time, I'm super open to to new ways to improve Mm -hmm. too but it has to make sense to me you have to convince me first it takes a lot but once but once you do I'm all in just like this whole running deal I hated running before but I'm all (laughs) in now like I love it so yeah let's let's talk about that we'll pivot to the running chat okay so some of you might know that sometimes Andy Gerst works with Danielle Lau and coaches her when it all aligns and everything and I don't know if you got him started on running or he got you started on running or it just magically collided where how did you start running (laughs) okay so well I think well when I first started working with with Andy, he was kind of dabbling into the running. He's a, I think he had just recently finished his first half marathon. And I was like, Hey, you like, to run? I like to run too. I haven't ran that far yet, but like, <laughs> we just kind of shared that interest, like passion. For, yeah, yeah. And I, I started running because, um, well, first of all, I, I used to have a lot of like foot problems, like a lot of tendonitis in my feet. But like when I met my, mm-hmm. when I met my boyfriend, he had just finished his Ironman and he was all about running. Oh and I was just like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> and he wanted me to come run with him and his friends. And I was like, no, I have bad feet. I can't do it. Yeah. But eventually he was so persistent. So I was like, okay, fine. So I went. Eventually, <laughs> I feel like the running actually strengthened the muscles in my feet and like my foot problems went away. And ever since like, nice. yeah, and ever since that happened, I started to gradually like build up the mileage and, and I noticed that it's really great for you mentally too. Like I love catching from the world and and just going for a run and like at the feeling you get after you run, it's, it's very unique. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel so productive. And I tease Andy, I tell him that I am a better person when I run. So like you <laughs> want to run and, um, <laughs> and I tell everyone that I am my best self after a run and a little cold brew. <laughs> yeah. so that is when I'm girl, self. you're speaking to me. <laughs> yeah. Just like no one can touch me. I'm just in such a great mood. Yeah. <laughs> So, so yeah, no, I feel the same vibe. Yeah, so yeah, I, just, <laughs> yeah awesome. I just enjoy the running, and hopefully, I could continue to do it while I play tennis because it, yeah, it just keeps the good vibes going, and mm-hmm. I like what it does for my tennis too. So Andy's always trying to keep me on the lower end of the mileage, but I think I'm going to have to unfriend him on Strava soon. <laughs> 
Okay, he's losing it. <laughs> he's going, he's turning into an ultra runner yeah. and we're not okay. Yeah. I, I refuse to be on Strava because of Andy. <laughs> no, because he checks on my Strava to check my mileage and he'll tell me to keep it down a little bit. But then I see he's like running like 18 miles and I'm just like, why well, what can't I run like five or six? And he's like, no, you need yeah. to keep it below that. And I was like, okay, oh it's, time for, it's time for me to block on Strava. <laughs> So where are you at mileage wise right now? Or what's like a nice long run for you? Well, so I just started running back again, maybe like a week and a half ago. And okay, because like, I, I wanted to make sure my feet were ready for it. I, I spent like a good week and a half just running 5k's. Yeah. Well, the first day was just kind of a shakeout to see how my feet would respond the next day. And then the second second time I got out there it was a little bit of a stronger run. And the last couple of times I ran the 5k, I was like bolting it like under eights. But today I and so like I wanted to comfortably do like the 5k without aching at all. Mm -hmm. And, and I did it like five times and I was just fine. So today I went out, I did a five miler. Oh, nice. So that's where I am earlier uh, during preseason, I hit at around like nine, nine miles and doing a bunch of hill sprints and yeah I mean I think the furthest I've ran is maybe 10 okay but that's also like after practice too like I think if I did it (laughs) if I gradually built up to it like I think a half marathon is very doable but oh 100 percent. hopefully Andy doesn't hear that (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean you've got some time right now not that there's marathons or half marathons happening either but you've got some time there are no tournaments until June so that's what I told him as soon as like the tournaments were canceled I say hey look there's enough time to train for a half oh 100 percent. yeah I said like it's enough time to train for a Nike for the Nike half in LA yeah but then like two days later, it was canceled. So I was like, well, <laughs> I guess not. I think he's just scared that you're going to beat his time or something. I don't, know. I don't, I don't <laughs> think so. Any ultra speed probably, but. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, that's cool. I also have a dabble in running for the same reasons. It's such a nice mental break from the world. That's really the biggest reason. Yeah. And I love the community too. Actually, I love the running Mm -hmm. community. I realized this the other day. We watch football, basketball, tennis. You're usually cheering for one person. If you're cheering for one side, you're cheering against the other or you're cheering for the other side, you're cheering against. But like in running, I went to go spectate LA Marathon. Yeah. Everyone's just cheering for everybody. And like, you're just it's It's like kind of your own race and you're trying to, well, hopefully you're just trying to bring your best self because that's all you can actually control. There's, there's so many people in the race, like thousands, like you're not trying to beat everybody. It's versus like when you're, when you're at other sporting events, you're trying to beat the other side. So yeah, it's just got that vibe where you're, you're just like putting out your best. Yeah. And, um, I love it because I think, especially in tennis, we forget that too. Totally. It's all about results. It's all about wins and losses. And, um, and yeah, we lose, we lose that, that mentality to just to, you know, to bring what we've got that day. And I feel like in running, that's, that's the mentality. That's like very central to their culture. Yeah. 
It's it was tough for me. It's still tough for me though to like sign up for runs and not mm-hmm. be ultra competitive, but like also know that like I'm not the best runner. So that's been an interesting learning curve for me personally. Yeah, yeah. I think it's tough too, like especially when you go out and on the shorter runs, you just want to like beat everybody. But yeah, time like yeah. I, I think when you how long have you been running? I feel like when you've been running for a longer period of time, the need to beat the person next to you is not so much versus like you're just trying to put in the run that you had in mind. No, totally. And I have actually I had done the podcast with Andy several months ago now. And he was like, when are you going to run a race? And for me, I've just never wanted to run a half or anything. That's just not on my bucket list. But I a couple months ago paced a half marathon. Uh And it was the best experience of my life. Like it was so cool. I paced a slower pace. And Mm -hmm. it was like all of a sudden my running meant so much more than just me running. So I highly recommend that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, it's so inspiring yeah. to see people pace each other at the marathon. I've seen um, some cool things where a girl was pacing a blind guy for a oh 320 gosh. marathon. I was like, wow, that's like amazing. <laughs> That is amazing. Yeah. And and, uh, a group of our friends, what we normally do also is if somebody's running a marathon, a couple of us will volunteer to pace them for the last 10K. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool to like be there for each other, help each other, reach your own individual goals. Nice. So hopefully we're motivating everyone listening to go start running. (laughs) They're going to be like, is this the Running Warehouse podcast? (laughs) Um, But it's such a good supplemental part of your your training. And also, I feel like as tennis players, sometimes we're scared of running when we're younger because it becomes a punishment. I've talked about this before with other players. Like running was always a punishment when I was little. So it was like, no, I hate running. Yeah. (laughs) But now it's like, okay, now it's time to go check in, do your self-care and tune out the world. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Let's do a quick gear check with you. Sure. What are you rocking on the court these days? I got the the Pure Strike 100. Yeah, you do. Yeah, and I <laughs> and I put I want to say I put six grams each side. At, well, at nine and three. Okay. I just hit a linear ball, so I I like how the stability feels when you put the tape there. Yeah. I use tonic in the mains for string some natural gut Mm -hmm. can't get enough of that gosh (laughs) unfortunately (laughs) for the bank account at least (laughs) and then uh, I use adrenaline rough on the crosses I string them around like 50 pounds sometimes I guess it also depends where you are. Maybe on clay, I would drop the tension a bit, maybe two or three pounds. And then on grass, I might tighten it a bit, go up two or three pounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just depending. And also probably depends how your elbow's feeling too. If you're feeling a little tension in your arm, just go down a little bit. Yeah. But gosh, I feel like once you go to gut, you just don't go back. Just nothing feels like it. Shoes, I'm wearing the Ultra Shot, the K-Swiss Ultra Shot. Super sturdy shoe. Love it. For those running warehouse people, I wear the Cadence insole inside my shoes, inside my tennis shoe and my running shoe. Yeah. What's your running shoe of choice? Well, I wish K-Swiss made a running shoe, but I know I wear the Mizuno Wave Rider. Okay. Mizuno right now is, is my choice. Nice. Socks are very important. Fit socks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I got them through Tennis Warehouse. You guys partnered with Fit Sock and 
I reached out to them also to give me some of their other cool socks. One of the treats that I love to do like for myself is wear these nice squishy wool socks that they make, especially during like this. The cold LA yeah. days. <laughs> Who am I kidding? I wore those when I was in Orlando for preseason too. I just like the way they feel. They're so squishy. Yeah. Um, Yeah. For, for nutrition, I, I do have picky bars. They're, they're great company. And that started in Bend, Oregon. They have all natural bars. They have oatmeal, granola, and they have this new product called the drizzle. And it's like a more liquidy form of peanut butter that you put on top of your granola. It literally is a drizzle. It's delicious. My favorite, my favorite stack of that is the game set matcha oats, the sassy molassie granola on top of that and drizzle a little bit of their new drizzle on top. And um, their bars are great on the court for me too. Uh, They're all natural. They're vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free. So it's really easy on your stomach. Because I have a sensitive stomach, so I eat them during my matches in between practices. Like they, they keep me going on long days. Nice. And can't forget my electrolytes, Salt Stick Plus. I like a little caffeine in mine, so that's what I do. Haven't cramped in years. Knock on wood. Perfect. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Selling it. <laughs> um, let me think. What What else do I use? I wear K-Swiss clothes. You've been rocking the K-Swiss. And off-court, you've got all the classic K-Swiss style. Oh, gosh. Those lifestyle shoes, they're amazing. Like, I I go hang out with my friends. Well, not now, obviously, but I'm always rocking a new pair. (laughs) My buddies, uh, Jackie and Omar at K-Swiss, shout out to them for always helping me out. Um, But yeah, I love their stuff. It reminds me of, like, grade school, you know, those, like, plastic (laughs) white shoes, especially, like, in my grade school. Like, uh, we could only wear white shoes or all black oh my and those were the go-to shoes and so they're nice they're hip again now yeah I know that it's all coming back mm-hmm. <laughs> I was told to ask you about your Rottweilers oh. or Rottweiler is there one or two <laughs> it's one I don't think I can handle two okay. of him yeah, his, his name is Riley we got him a year and a half ago oh. and we, we rescued him from the Humane Society. Oh, and awesome. yeah, he's my stretching pal when he <laughs> wants to be. Sometimes he's too lazy. <laughs> Yesterday, I tried, I tried to incorporate him in my push-ups, but he didn't want to be incorporated. But then he joined me for snack time after. So um, <laughs> yeah, he, he's good company at home. He does suffer from a little dog aggression. So, but mm. we're we're working on it. He's he's had a couple play dates, and he's definitely better socialized now. Nice. His favorite snack is peanut butter and popcorn, which are my favorite snacks. Perfect. So. <laughs> Dream pairing. That's <laughs> awesome. I love it. Um, what has been the worst day of your career? Sorry to bring that mood down. No, the, <laughs> these are the days that make you better. Um, I would have to say. It's probably good that you don't have one that you can automatically call out. No, because I feel like they all have a purpose. (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. (laughs) I want to say it's a tie between losing our last dual match as a senior Mm -hmm. and losing first round of U.S. Open 2017 with having match points. Oh, shoot. (laughs) Yeah, I think those are Mm. the two worst days or that I could like really like picture in my head were the most like internally traumatic almost like I was not functional 
at the end of the day. And we'll counterbalance that. What's mm-hmm. been the best day of your career so far? Oh, <laughs> can I say three? <laughs> of course. Yeah. Definitely the two days where I qualified for the U.S. Open in 2017 and qualified in yeah. 2018. And my last one is winning the Pac-12 championships with my team. Nice. I think that was that was really cool. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine. I'm pretty sure we beat UCLA. That's probably why it was one of the best days. <laughs> That's shots fired. <laughs> I know. There's always there's always that rivalry. Yeah, but, yeah I think it's just I think it's just the energy. You know, I yeah. just think about the energy that I feel after winning a match, an individual match, but just like multiply that mm-hmm. by eight. Yeah. It, it's it's pretty cool. I actually I think there's another college day that actually tops that. I think it was when we made the final four in two thousand eleven in Georgia. Okay. That was pretty awesome. I I won my match to go up 3-2 and my teammate literally clinched the match. Serena Santa Maria clinched the match 4 seconds after. Like we were both <laughs> we both had match point. I won my match point before I could even get up to shake my opponent's hand like she wins her match point and we just exploded. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So cool. Yeah, I actually think that was the best that was the best college day of my life. That's awesome. Who were you guys playing that day? Dude, I'm going to fire some more shots. We were playing Stanford. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember who you were playing? Do we know exactly the opponent? Yeah, I was playing Mallory Burdett and Sabrina was playing Stacey Tan. And it was just like hot, humid, everyone. It was it was tough conditions, but, but yeah, we made it through. Let's do a few fun questions. Favorite emoji? I think my favorite one is it's the face where he's like not smiling, but almost like grinning. And it almost looks like the teeth are like braces, but they're not. It's like that guilty <laughs> smile. I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like that one. Too. Yeah, that one's my favorite. What is your coffee order? Goodness, it depends where we are. If we're in Australia, it's only a flat white. If we're in LA, a cortado or a cold brew. A good cold brew is great. okay. Um, if we're in Colombia, just just their usual drip is great. If we're in Europe, it's an espresso. And uh, have you had a one-on-one? No. What is that? I've had this in a couple stores recently, and it's like an espresso okay. shot with mineral water in the middle, and then they have another small cup of like a lighter, milkier espresso, and you're supposed to bounce in between the three. Like, that's pretty awesome. I've had that in, like, Denver and in Portland. So it's, like, kind of a new thing. Yeah, it's got to be coming to California. Every time I see it, like, hands down, I I go for it. Just because I've had, like, those two unique experiences. And I was just like, oh, this is really great. And also, I feel like I get more bang for my buck. I get, like, one shot and another (laughs) shot. Like so yeah. for for the same price. Right. Yeah, that's that's my coffee order. I haven't I'm not into like the whole oat milk yet, but <laughs> yet. I I don't do lattes anymore. No. That was in the beginning of time when I didn't know anything about coffee. Not that I know too much now. I just kinda know what I like. Yeah. Well once we're out of quarantine, I'm gonna have to be on search for this one on one because that sounds yeah. delicious. Yeah, I I'll I will yeah. send you a picture or a link so you can identify. Please. It. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> What's your favorite food? Korean food. I just I love all the banchan mm-hmm. around like all the meats and such. Um, Andy always teases me when we were traveling together. He'd be like, we'd go 
far and wide in this world, but we will still find Korean food with you for some reason. This will happen. Like always, always like our first meal when we arrive somewhere, I find some Korean food, and he's just like, "Why is this such a pattern?" And I was like, "I don't know." Yeah, I, I love Korean food. Every time I come back home, I always ask my boyfriend to take me to this place called Obi Bear, and it's my favorite Korean chicken wings. Those wings have like a spell on me. <laughs> They're magic. Yeah, I just, I just love it. I think I have a record of eating seventeen Korean wings, um, in. Nice. Yeah. Small but mighty. Yeah. I love Korean. (laughs) I used to think that I love Japanese food until I was introduced to those wings. Then like that just completely changed everything. I used to be the Koreatown queen on the tennis team. Like my tennis team didn't know what all you can eat Korean barbecue was. Uh And I brought them to because USC is really close to Koreatown. So like after practice at around 5 p.m., we just all jump in my car. Probably like starved ourselves all day just to go have all you can eat Korean barbecue. So, yeah, that was like a cool team so thing that we would do. So yeah, Korean food, special place in my heart. That sounds amazing. What is your signature shot on the court? And maybe explain a little bit what your playing style is without giving too much away. <laughs> signature shot. I'm pretty sure people would say it's a slice. <laughs> you like say that with like disdain, like you don't want to own it. <laughs> Well, because I feel like I have other good shots, too. But when people say, like, oh, it's Danielle, she's going to slice and dice. Yeah. I guess to describe my game, I play pretty linear. Try to play with different speeds to to yield the time to attack for me. I'm never going to overpower anyone. So trying to hit the next shot bigger than the previous one is not really uh, my style. Just using movement and different spins and speeds to play a little chess on the court and find an opening somehow. Nice. No, that's awesome. That's a good way to explain it. What does your best day off look like? Let's see. I I wake up, get a little meditation in. Normally I'm up before everyone else. And then like (laughs) I come out, probably have a coffee myself and then wait for everyone to get up and volunteer to make breakfast for everybody. Nice. (laughs) And then after that, yeah, just take my time, clean up, maybe go hang out with some friends and then have chicken wings for dinner. <laughs> maybe a beer. Best day. I love maybe it. somewhere yeah. or somewhere in between, like a good beer. Uh, maybe depend. Yeah. Depending on the weather and the mood, either a good, good hazy IPA or if it's cold. Yes. Nice nitro stout. Definitely yes. not with the wings though, because you you gotta have space for all the wings. You don't like <laughs> yeah. beer with the wings, so. <laughs> strategy (laughs) I like it I I have it dialed in (laughs) (laughs) I love it (laughs) that's awesome who do you look up to Roger Federer I think he's got a great insight in in life and his career I think for him to have been this great for this long he's got to have like this this great balance and understanding about himself and I think that's like far Mm -hmm. more important I mean, we could talk about how many slams he's won, but that's just like a byproduct mm-hmm. of how good he is, like mm-hmm. in terms yeah. of like things on and off court. So yeah, if I were to have lunch with anyone, it would probably be him to like pick his brain and and see, yeah, like how yeah. how do you manage it all? How do you maintain it all? Like you know, how much like internal work do you do to like maintain this this happiness to play and like you know after so many years and so much success still having that great joy to perform and to do what he does. For sure. He's inspiring on many levels, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any book or podcast recommendations? I love 
listening to Finding Mastery by Michael Gervais. Okay. Uh, he interviews a whole bunch of high performers, whether it's an athlete, CEO, sometimes doctors. I love listening to him. He's always trying to unpack like their mindset. And yeah, like he, he peels away like the layers about somebody that sometimes like it's cool to listen from a different perspective or to identify with someone else that's been super successful. So mm-hmm. I, I always love uh, listening to his stuff. In terms of a book, I have a couple books that really had a great impact on me. I think The Inner Game was great. And he gave that to me. I love that. And Relentless mm-hmm. by Tim Grover is kind of like the polar mm-hmm. opposite of Inner Game. But I've like read that a couple times. And it's it's a big part of my internal work and my, my mindset. And, and the other, sorry, third book I really enjoyed was The Power of Now. Okay. So that was like really cool. All three kind of like mindset books. Um, I love that. We'll add all this stuff on the show notes, especially during this time. I feel like people are going to have a lot of time to read. Yeah, Yeah, I'm about to go start reading the David Goggins book. (gasps) I've read it. It's so good. Yeah. Is it hard? You'll be inspired to run. Is it? (laughs) Yeah. No, it's great. You're just going to be like flipping through it and then you're going to be like, okay, let's go. Okay. That guy is inspiring. Yeah, no, I've heard his story. I've seen a lot of videos. Like he's he's incredible. I've heard him on like multiple podcasts too. I was going to say there's he did a ritual podcast. He's done Joe Rogan and you'll get a little taste, but he's got a great story. Yeah, Rich, Rich is good too. Um I I like his podcast. Yeah. Makes me really want to eat leaves. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, same. Yeah. Yeah. Tim Ferriss is pretty good too, but I I would say, yeah, Michael Gervais Mm -hmm. is the most consistent one that I listen to. Cool. What legacy do you want to leave behind? I just want to be a positive influence on the people around me. I've always felt more gratified when I make the people around me better. Right now I'm really focused on my career, but I feel like by leading with example and treating yourself right and going about your career correctly, I think people can see that and sense that and want that for themselves too. So I think, uh, yeah, leading by example and being a positive influence on others would be a a great way to leave the earth. (laughs) I love that. I 100% agree. Do you have like a life motto or a favorite quote that you go by? I do have a life philosophy. Yeah, let's hear it. I'm empowered through work, through work and preparation. I like that. So um, I think it kind of like goes with the whole idea of I'm calculated. I like to teeter-tatter in different things just to prove and, and make myself better. But yeah, the endless like curiosity to do that, it empowers me to do whatever I want to do and whatever I set my mind to. Well, it seems to be working out for you, my dear. <laughs> <laughs> Trying. So, still working on it. <laughs> We're all works in progress, but yeah. I think with yeah. that mentality, you're you're on the right page. Yeah. Where can people follow you socially? Oh, you can find me on Instagram, the little giant. I am the first little giant. There are no numbers <laughs> after that. On Twitter, I'm I am the little giant also. So, so yeah, nice. it's not my name. It's the little giant. We'll link it as well. And you're a fun follow on, well, I'm not on Twitter very often, but I, I think you do tweet more than others. But Instagram's always interesting. It also seems like you have a little bit of a passion of maybe like editing video, yeah. kind of like dabbling in that. <laughs> I've seen some pieces that you've put together and I'm like, okay, she's done this before. Yeah, yeah. I, I like putting together some short like 15 second videos because I feel like that's the attention span people normally have now. 
and it takes off a little pressure from getting everything right too. You just have like a few snippet clips and I, and I think it's cool to keep it light and, and fun like that and to change it up versus mm-hmm. just posting your meals every day and whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, so everyone should go follow Danielle. She's got some cool stuff and it's like a variety of things. It's not yeah. just tennis or just running. Yeah. There's puppies. There's, there's, <laughs> there's picky bars. There's... <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's awesome. Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners? I guess like through this time, like I, I was thinking about like how how to be productive and, and I came up with like three steps that I'm I'm gonna stick to. Yeah, this can help everyone and it's been definitely been helping. Please me. share. I think like step one, like is uh accepting that this is a tough time and also that maybe if you're kind of stressed out or having some anxiety, just you know, accept that and also accept that other people are going to you know, be a little stressed out too. And if you're not stressing out, just, yeah, just be compassionate about those people who are stressed out and just like, yeah, understand that that's, you know, where they're coming from. So yeah, step one is like acceptance mm-hmm. and compassion of like this situation. Uh, step two, mm-hmm. I would think is it'd be great if you can try to uphold some routines that you normally would do, mm-hmm. like whether it's like, like for me, I, I bought a, um, I'm not telling everyone to get a spin bike, but I did get a, a stationary spin bike just to see if I could still uphold my fitness, uphold my routine, like of exercising, um, some sort of active routine or, yeah, just don't let this whole situation dissuade you from certain routines that you do and try to do this while still being safe and following the guidelines. And step three uh, is also to maybe pick up something new or pick up like an old hobby that you put aside because you were too busy getting out before getting out of the house before so those three steps like like for me um step three would be like trying to refine my my cooking skills a little bit mm-hmm. it's something new to keep things from going stale so yeah those three steps I feel like are pretty important during this time and hopefully that can that can help everyone out so yeah step one acceptance and compassion step two maintain some routines and then step three like find something new and the reason for step two and three is just like step two is you know I guess like right now everyone's kind of in some sort of panic and anxiety so it just kind of centers you brings you back to like Mm -hmm. you know what the center of your life and like step three is like for the more for like week three and four of this when you start to get like bored of your own centered life and you want to like not get stale like go back and forth between those three things that's awesome I think that will help a lot of people because there's a lot of uncertainty right now and you know it was kind of weird because I felt like BMP kind of triggered all of this and at first it was just all of the tennis world was like shutting down and now it's like everything so it's not just a tennis thing it's a global situation and we're all I mean I talked to colleagues this morning they're they've been quarantined for almost a week now and can't leave and it's just yeah kind of crazy so that will definitely help I'm sure thank you for sharing that yeah yeah hopefully it helps yeah and you know people have podcasts like this to listen to to keep them occupied and get inspired and find new people to kind of dig in I think like someone that's never heard of you before potentially Mm -hmm. could follow you and like pick up a lot of things like the running the cooking all of the mindset and you had some great suggestions on podcasts and books and stuff like that so thanks so much for helping I guess even just past this time of uncertainty and keep people busy 
Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think this time just like helps us to kind of reevaluate a little bit and to like go about things in the most productive way. Sometimes the toughest times like really pushes yeah. you to like be as efficient as possible. Totally. And we finally all have a chance to like slow down and chill out and figure out, you know, where we want to go with our lives. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me, Danielle. It was such a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks so much, Michelle. No problem. And we'll see you back on the courts, hopefully in June. <laughs> Sooner than you know it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I don't know how to end these anymore because it's always like, what tournament are you playing next? Or what's the plan? It's like no one has a plan right now. Thanks, you guys, for listening this week. I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, subscribe, rate, and review. Let your friends know why you love Talk Tennis. And if you have any questions for us, reach out at podcast at tennis-warehouse.com. Keep staying healthy, stay safe, and until next time, happy hitting. Happy hitting.